0: amen to that right amen wonderful time of worship this morning hey good morning great to see you all this morning as usual always look forward to being here on sundays to worship with all of you and uh have ministry be minister to and and to minister you missed a blessing if you weren't here this morning at 9 15 uh fred and ruby thank you so much again for being here anisette uh, all the way from Africa to share with us what God's doing uh, over there in, in their respective countries. And I'm amazed. I'm uh, grateful. I was celebrating with you, praying with you. They have uh, a wonderful ministry there. And Charlie and Grace Life, thank you so much for the way that you've connected with them uh, years ago to uh, be a blessing to them and help equip them and equip national pastors. It's an amazing ministry, both of them. So if you weren't here this morning, I think we're going to have a little time at the end for them to introduce themselves, so you won't miss out on that blessing, but so good to be here. Um, for those of you that don't know, we've been traveling through the book of 1 Peter, and we find ourselves in chapter 3 this morning, 1 uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 7. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking been talking to the wives about what God has to say about being a, a godly wife and how to influence your husband when they're disobedient to the Word, when they, uh, which doesn't happen often. Men are usually pretty obedient, but uh, in case it ever did happen that they didn't obey, well, then you know what to do. There's been a lot of emphasis on um, the wives the last couple of weeks, we're going to take a couple of weeks now to talk about the husbands. And it's going to be a positive, encouraging thing, I hope and pray. But I wanted to introduce one more, newest uh, member to Burleson Bible Church, and that is Miriam Gary Carter. That's not her middle name, is it? Oh. Uh, Miriam Carter's with us this morning. Can you just congratulate uh, the Carters on the birth of Miriam? (laughs) Peyton, Lindsay, we're so thankful for you guys. You've been such a blessing. Your family, we're so grateful that Miriam's here and, and healthy. Things are all good. So, wow, we've been praying for a while, and then here she is. And so, continue to pray for them. You know what it's like to uh, bring on a new baby, and you already have a couple kids, and they lead busy lives. And so, we're praying for you, and we're here for you. So, um, glad that you're here this morning. Uh, you know, I don't know if you all have some kind of um, go to bed attire. Do you have like a nightshirt you wear? You know, you're your bed clothes, if you will. Maybe you wear pajamas. I don't know. For me, it's usually some old shorts. I have like paint, I use them to paint in. So they're all tattered and and paint all over them. And then I have um, my night shirt, which is a tank top uh, tie-dye Scooby-Doo shirt. So when I hit the bed and you know, my wife's like, man, you're so hunky. You look amazing. That's usually never been uttered from her uh, mouth. But uh, we want to be hunky husbands. That's the title of the sermon today, right? Guys, you want to be a hunky husband for your wife. The one that she looks to and says, Wow, I am so blessed to have you uh, in your Scooby Doo shirt. Whatever. But, you know, it makes you think about what is a man? What's a, a godly man? What's a man today? You know, has it changed? It seems like there's a. A lot of different opinions on what a man is, especially in our day and age today. But Mary Farrar wrote a book entitled Reading Your Mail, M-A-L-E. And she has some insight into some things that we all could probably agree with about what's going on with uh, men today. But she says, Quite, Quietly but surely over the last century, they, the men, have undergone an acute identity crisis. Like a pilot flying in fog without instruments. Our men have found themselves in a mixed-message, upside-down world without a clear template. And the resulting masculine disorientation has affected us all. I don't know if you can agree with that or not, or if you've seen that, but I would have to agree with that statement. Uh, When a man and a woman fail to understand their identity, who they are according to the way that their creator made them, then... They suffer, their marriage suffers, their families suffer, churches suffer, and ultimately the rest of society suffers when we don't understand our God-given design. Amen? We've seen that. It's played out in our society today. She goes on to make this one observation. She says, studies show that most Americans, 70%, catch this, believe the purpose of marriage is to find a mate who will make them happy. And by happy, they mean that marriages should sustain consistently romantic feelings between soulmates whose sexual ecstasy lasts a lifetime. You and your spouse can live happily ever after, but only if both of you are willing to work through the issues and differences you brought into the marriage. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, did you guys read that definition? That we think that the purpose of marriage is to find our soulmate So we can be happy for all of eternity, right? We can sustain consistently those romantic feelings that you had when you first locked eyes when you met, right? But we all know, guys, it's laughable, isn't it? It's impossible. Uh, That's not what the purpose of marriage is. Over the last couple weeks, as I mentioned, we've seen how a wife can be a, a godly woman of faith in a marriage that's less than ideal, And I think that's who Peter was addressing, the wives who have husbands who are disobedient to the word. So it's a tough marriage. And God spoke to believing women whose husbands were disobedient, not fulfilling their God given role as the spiritual leader of the home. And so now in verse seven, he does take some time to turn our attention to the husband and how he can fulfill his God given purpose and his role as a spiritual leader of the home but as the provider as well for his wife and children. This is how God says a man can be truly a hunky husband. And men, I imagine you want to be irresistible in the eyes of your wife. Trust me on this. The way to be that hunky husband your wife dreams of having is to be the man that looks to the Bible for his template. That's how we do it. Because marriage is God's plan, right? God created marriage. He designed it. And when you follow his template, then we understand and can experience successful marriage the way that God intended. But we don't need to look anywhere else. A lot of times we go to the self-help books. How, do I, how can I be a better husband? And, and there's a lot of self-help books out there for husbands and wives and marriages. And, and all of them may be good and well and have some uh, benefit to them. But if you don't start right here, folks, in the written inspired Word of God about what it means to be a man or a woman of God, then you're in a wrong resource. Here's what God says about being a hunky husband. Number one, and we're only going to get to the first point this morning for the sake of time. I do that to you a lot. I apologize. What do you think that word would be? The see? Control her. No, I'm kidding. It's consider her. Consider her. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 with me. It says, you husbands... In the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Father, we want to come before you this morning and just ask for your divine help. We understand that we don't come to this place and, and just automatically understand things that you've written. We need the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit. We need to come with a heart that says, Lord, teach me, with ears that are open, that says I want to listen, I want to hear, so that I can be changed, to become the man that you've called me to be, to be the husband that you've called me to be. God, we desperately need this message this morning as men. Please speak through me this morning, Lord. May this message not fall on deaf ears, but fall on fertile soil, so that we can Put into practice these things that you've given us, Lord, for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we need to consider our wives. That's what Peter's saying. Be considerate as we live with our wife. Other translations say to live in an understanding way. Or uh, literally, it, it reads to live with our wives according to knowledge. That's what how it's phrased there in this passage, and that means with an intelligent recognition of the nature of the marriage relation. Did you catch that, guys? We are to live with our wives according to knowledge that we have an an intelligent recognition of the nature of the marital relationship, and Peter has to tell us that because we probably wouldn't take the time necessarily to do that as often uh, as we should. In other words, guys, we live with our wife in a way that seeks to understand what it's like to be a wife. And specifically, what it's like to be, our, uh, to be our wife married to us in our relationship. I think that's what Peter's getting at. What's it like for my wife to be married to a husband like me? Have you thought about what that might be like to be married to you, guys? Have you thought about what it's like to, to be a wife who's called to uh, respect and to follow us in her God-given role uh, as a wife, to follow and respect us as their spiritual leader. If we do stop and consider our wives and what life must be like for them, being a wife who's called to follow us as their spiritual leader, then we will seek to understand and be considerate of the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of our wives. Now, just a disclaimer here, I'm in no way an expert on this subject. I understand I'm about to enter into some uh, territory that not an expert by any means. I'm not the most considerate husband, and I'm still in great need of learning what it means to be a considerate husband. And I mean that with all sincerity. If I'm honest, I spend more days considering myself and all that I want to do and accomplish in my life than I do that of my wife. And actually, rarely in my 28 years of marriage have I taken time to truly consider my wife and her needs. If you added up the times that I actually stopped and considered the needs of my wife, it's actually a little embarrassing, if I'm honest. It was only after my wife was... Diagnosed with cancer, did God kind of really shake my world and stop me in my tracks and cause me to consider my wife on a deeper level? It's an embarrassing confession to make, to be honest with you, but I think it's important for you to know. Uh, Because, uh, as I said, I've been married for 28 years, and uh, it's been a long 28 years for Shayla. Mm He's not in here this morning, so I have freedom to speak without objection. Uh, But uh, I've nearly destroyed my marriage by the neglect of my wife. And I mean that honestly at times. Sometimes it was unwittingly. Other times it was simply just carelessness but it's only by the grace of Almighty God and the commitment of my wife to me that we're still together today. Can I just put that out there? And understand that maybe not every marriage is like that. Maybe you've had smooth sailing the whole time. But I'm just sharing with you the struggles that I've had along the way in fulfilling my God-given role as a considered husband. So I, I say what I do this morning as one who's still in the process of learning to live with my wife in an understanding way, because God has called us men to wake up and get a clue, to pay attention, what it's like to be married to us. The first way, and these are just a few points about how to consider our wives this morning, okay? And uh, guys, I would encourage you to take notes. Again, I'm not an expert, and this is not an exhaustive list of ways to consider our wife and her needs. But it's just a few ways that I think will be helpful. And I was thinking about this this morning. A lot of times when we teach through the Bible, my personal perspective is we never teach for information. We always teach for transformation. Does that make sense? It's one thing to be informed about what God's Word says. It's a whole other thing to be transformed by the Word of God. Amen? Can you agree with that? So we're not here just to learn and just for information. Oh, that's nice. That's interesting. But we're here to say, God, what can I learn from what you've said, and how can you transform me as a result? So we're teaching for transformation. But one of the first needs that uh, come to mind about a wife and the need she has of her husband is that uh, she needs affection. She needs affection. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Shrek, but it's pretty profound. When Donkey asked Shrek the ogre, you love this woman, don't you? Yes. Donkey says, do you want to hold her? Yes. her? Yes. Then you got to, got to try a little tenderness. Chicks dig that romantic crap. Can we say crap in church? I don't think so, but chicks do dig that. Tenderness. Women need affection. Women ha- uh, God has given women this innate need to be cared for physically and emotionally. They need their husbands to love them and to be committed to them and to them alone. 1 Timothy and Titus call us men if you call the uh, qualifications for elder or deacon, and it goes with any man, but God says, men, you need to be a one-woman man. And so when we look into our our bride's eyes on our wedding day, if you remember that day, we vowed before God, I will love and cherish this woman as as long as both of us shall live. Remember that? I will love and cherish you as long as we both shall live. But she needs to know that she's loved and cherished and that she is our one and only. Let's face it, guys. We are usually the worst at communicating our love and care for our wives. We're not... Real good at this. It's not our strong suit, to say the least. Yet our wives live in a constant need of our affection, whether they claim to or not. I think God has created women with that need, and so we got to learn to grow in this area, men, husbands. She needs to not just hear that she's loved and cherished. She needs to know, without question, that she is. And we'll see why this is important in the next point, and we'll. Catch up on on the next sermon with that. But husbands, we're the only ones in our wife's life who's called to meet her need for affection. Yes, she has Jesus, and she has a relationship with Jesus. And she has uh, children, and she has friends, and they all provide a certain element of affection, if you will, for her in a certain capacity. But guys, we are it. As the husband, there is a certain role and a certain place for our affection in her life that only we can meet. And when we fail to show her the affection that she needs, that she has an inherent need for, watch out because someone else may come along and give that to her when it's being neglected in the home. How many marriages have been torn apart because someone else came alongside And showed a wife the love and affection that she wasn't receiving at home. That's just a reality, isn't it? How many inconsiderate husbands lived in a me-first marriage, fulfilling only their needs, their own personal needs, their own desires, while never really considering their wife's needs? Apparently enough to justify God moving Peter to remind the husbands of this truth. You need to live with your wife in an understanding way. You need to understand her as a woman, as a wife. So guys, I mean, a a wife can only watch so many romantic movies or read so many romance novels to try and fill that void in her life for romance and for affection. But I think we need to stop delegating a responsibility to meet our wives' needs for affection to to Danielle Steele or Nicholas Sparks, right? Because that won't satisfy Our wives need affection. They also need communication. There's a long-disputed stereotype that women talk nearly three times more than men. Have you heard that? Well, the stereotype's been debunked in recent years, and science shows that men and women really talk about the same amount in any given day, on average. The truth is, though, it's not the number of words that we use from day to day, but the way we communicate that matters to our wives. To experience good communication in marriage both the husband and the wife need to be good listeners. I recently found uh, another solution, though, that I want to introduce to, to the men this morning that could be a potential uh, runner-up in helping us in this area of communication. i got a quick video to show you. I don't know if you've seen this product, but it's well worth a look.
1: Men, how many times has this happened to you? Me. You know, we, our babies sleep really, really good. Or this. Make sure Timmy wears the blue shirt. If he doesn't... Or even this. And for my birthday, which is next month,
0: I'd really like some of this.
1: Do you have trouble listening or retaining information from your wife? You could be suffering from... Spousal Selective Listening, or SSL. With SSL, valuable input is intercepted or scrambled before it reaches the critical learning center of the man brain. Virtually anything can trigger it, like sports, food, even shiny objects with buttons. Fortunately, there is help with Heratol. Containing a rare root with an exotic name, Heratol helps men focus and listen to valuable female input, even pick up on those Subtle hints. These are exactly the earrings I wanted. How did you know?
0: Thanks, hear it all. Now I can hear it all.
1: Heratol has not been tested or approved by any regulatory agency. Side effects with Heratol include minor to severe headaches and spontaneous combustion. Use caution when using Heratol near mother's-in-law. As you may hear hurtful comments that would have previously been ignored, Heratol is an enhancement drug. Do not use around children or clusters of talkable blue-haired women. If focus listening lasts longer than four hours, consult your doctor immediately before your wife assumes this is a new standard in your relationship. Men with wives who are nursing or pregnant should not take this product. Heratol, the preferred selection or solution for selective hearing.
0: I'll be taking orders after the service. There's not any stereotype about the ability of men to listen, is there, you know? Oh, we get we do struggle, guys, don't we, with selective hearing. I imagine that wives struggle with that as well, but we struggle with communicating love and affection to our wives. Let's just be honest. We're not the best listeners. We don't always hear. Uh, if you were to ask a woman what men get wrong in communication, you might get a response like this woman who I found. On the interweb. She says, things men get wrong. This sounds like a jaded person, but you know, here we go. Uh, Trying to fix my problems when I just need to be heard and understood. Dismissing my feelings or experience. An inability to be accountable. They'd rather place all the blame on me, avoiding communication period, because it's too terrifying, therefore just shutting down instead of opening up. This sounds like a really bitter woman, but, I mean, I think the point is valid, and the reason I share that with you is because I do think that that perspective is shared by a lot uh, of wives and marriages, from my experience. I've heard this before. because if you're like me or most men, we just listen enough to get the basic facts, right? To figure out what's the problem. Okay, here's a solution. You ever, you ever get in a conversation like that? We're just trying to hear what's wrong so we can fix it. Because guys, we're fixers. We fix things. And so when our wives come to us with questions or problems or issues, we tend not to listen, Really? I'm the worst at multitasking. I think I have a ADD in some form, but uh, I can't do two things at once. I really can't. I struggle with that. Many times my wife wants to talk with me. It's, uh, it's not so that um, I can fix her. She doesn't come to me and say, Gary, I need to talk so that I can fix whatever the problem is. It's because she wants to communicate with me. She wants to connect with me as her husband. And many wives need Communication with their husband because they've spent all day with kids or at work or alone, and you finally get together with your husband and they desire adult interaction, especially when the kids are younger or uh, to talk with someone that they love and care for. Guys, a lot of times when we get home, we're already talked out, aren't we? We've already talked to a bunch of people that day or with business associates or co workers or friends or other people. So the last thing you want to do when you get home is communicate. Yet that's one of our wives' greatest needs is communication, is interaction with us. And I think this is where God calls us to be considerate of our wives and her need for communication. She wants to talk, to connect, to uh, feel like she's your partner in life, to share her day with you, her ups and downs. My wife is a medical coder for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. When she comes and talks to me about her work, my eyes glaze over. She's giving me codes and using words that I've never heard before. And I just have to, you know, I'm listening, but I'm like, you know, babe, the game's on in about an hour. No. Uh, But I understand she's just sharing her day and what's happened and seeing events, and it's just a connection time for us. God says if we want to be hunky husbands, a husband that loves their wife, is interested in their wife, they're interested in their opinions and their perspectives and what they have to say in life, then you would do well, guys, to stop and stop what you're doing. You know, thank God for pausing on the TV now, right? Or uh, <laughs> turn off the TV, put down the phone, look her in the eyes, and communicate and listen. We can't understand if we don't listen. Proverbs 18:2 says fools find no pleasure in understanding but light in airing their own opinions. That sounds like a lot of my arguments with my wife over the years. Have you been there? You get in these discussions with your spouse that seem to go on for a while and at the end of it you walk away thinking I have no idea if we communicated anything in this discussion. I've left discussions. I say discussion, but really it's an argument. But I'm trying to be PC. But you leave that discussion feeling like I'm, you know, I haven't been heard. I just wanted her to hear my perspective. Right? Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm going through. Here, why doesn't she understand? You know what I'm trying to say. And no understanding has happened. No communi- real communication has happened because I'm just airing my own opinions, and I don't stop and be considerate of her perspective and her opinion. And so when I fail to communicate with my wife, I'm failing to listen to the primary person that God has placed in my life to teach me about myself and about what God's doing in my marriage. You ever think about that? That your spouse is that person that God has placed in your life to communicate his plan and his will for you in marriage. My wife has so much insight so much wisdom, and so often I fail to respect that and to listen, but I can't learn and grow if I'm doing all the talking. Guys, we're always just expressing our opinions. We're not listening. There's a, uh, a need for communication. There's another need for our wives in this area of uh, living with her in an understanding way, and that is a need for transparency. kind of goes along with communication, but Dave Anderson writes in his book, Trust is the foundation for a good marriage. If she can't trust you, she can't respect you. If she can't respect you, she can't love you. If she can't love you, she's not happy. And if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? But you see the progression there, and there's a lot of truth to this. Marriages will never succeed without trust. We cannot hold on to secrets in marriage. Husbands, we need to live open and transparent lives with our wives. She needs to know where we are. She needs to know what we're doing, what we're up to. We don't get to have a, a separate life that no one knows about. When a man and a woman join in holy matrimony, the two become one. Sure, we have our own identity as believers in Jesus Christ, but our lives are intertwined by God and marriage. And what God has joined together, no man can separate. We shouldn't try to separate our lives so we don't attempt to separate our, our lives from our spouses and have our own life. That seems to be the world view today of marriage, is that couples are more like business partners joined by circumstances rather than life partners joined by God. So couples have separate you know, work lives and their work relationships that the spouse doesn't know about, or separate bank accounts, even, or separate friends, both physically and on social media. And there's these secrets that are kept, and there's these avenues that are open for the husband or the wife, even, to, to uh, be tempted into this secrecy of life, which is so easy today. You know, one of the leading causes of divorce is, is that a, a spouse connected with someone secretly on social media. It's an epidemic today. It's it's cited in, I think, half or nearly half of the divorce proceedings is that somebody connected with somebody in secrecy. And that ability is everywhere today. My wife and I have tried to guard and protect ourselves against this over the years. We kind of have a rule that we don't accept a a friend request from the opposite sex unless we're both friends with this person. And it's just, you know... It's a general rule. There's exceptions to that, I guess, you know, with lifelong friends. But as a rule, we do this. Why? Because we're scared? No, because we understand the nature of temptation. We're devoted to each other. We want to protect our marriage, and we don't want to have secrets. And we realize that that's an avenue to such a thing. We don't want to leave the door open for opportunity for the devil. That may sound extreme to some of you and and to each his own, and we all have our own Uh, ways that we navigate this aspect of our marriage, but I've heard too many stories. And I know my own sin nature and the sin nature of of man to know that no one is above temptation, right? No one is above a fall. And God says to the proud, take heed lest you fall. So there is that need, fellas, for transparency. Are you living a secret life in some way? Are you hanging on to things that your wife doesn't know? She needs transparency. She needs to know that she can trust you. And if you don't have trust, you don't have anything else. There's also this need for financial support. Uh, It's also cited that financial stress is one of the leading causes of divorce in America. Another quote from Anderson, he says, You'll notice on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Financial security is a basic need that must be attended to before we can move up to more intangible needs like belonging, love, and self-esteem. Think about that for a moment. Financial security is a basic need that we all have, but especially the wife who's married to the husband. And that may seem outdated or archaic to you. I imagine as I read that, people listen to that, they think, you know, what is this? archaic information we're sharing where the wife depends on the husband. But I I promise you it's just as relevant today as it was then. That a wife needs to know that she can be provided for financially. I guess the way I see that played out in today's culture is that there seems to be this philosophy that a wife needs to make sure that she is uh, financially Uh, viable and able to sustain herself if something were to happen to her husband or to her family, the husband's job. I understand that rationale, by the way. I understand no one wants to be caught off guard. You don't want to be left destitute, penniless, uh, without the ability to provide for you and your family. I understand the rationale. I want you just to listen to this perspective, though, and I think this is what Peter's getting at the needs of a, of a wife. When a woman puts her trust in her husband as the head of the home, the provider, the leader, she's putting her trust in God. She's living by faith when she's living by faith in her husband to provide financially. I think that's the principle here. Nothing. Uh, that, that's just the way that, that God has designed it and she's trusting God in that way. There are exceptions to this. Again, uh, there's a lot of room for flexibility with this principle, I believe. Maybe a husband loses his job. I've known people where the husband lost his job even during COVID, and so the wife had to go to work, and he took care of the kids. Nothing wrong with that. There are wives that are more educated than the husband. They're more skilled, and they uh, are able to make more money, and so they go out and work, and, and, and the husband you know, doesn't make as much or isn't the, the main breadwinner. That's Okay. I personally think that's okay. It used to run me wrong, honestly, when I heard that a husband wasn't the maiden breadwinner. I think that's just from my traditional um, upbringing. I don't think that's the principle here. The principle I think God wants us as Christian husbands to know is that as the God-ordained leader of our home, it's our job to make sure the family is taken care of financially. Even if that means we aren't able at some time to do that financially. Maybe there's a circumstance that's out of our control, and we can't do that. But it's still our responsibility to be part of the solution. I think the principle is, husbands, be on the same page with your wife with the finances of the home. Sometimes we just delegate it, don't we? She'll take care of the bills. I'll just go make the money. You take care of all that stuff. And we never come together and work together as a team to form a plan that both provides for the family financially, but then honors God as well and the roles that he's given us. Does that make sense? I know it's a little bit out there, but I think husbands, the bottom line is be involved, lead in this. Find out what, what God's plan is for you and your personal family. I remember uh, when I was newly married back in 1994, Shayla and Zach was uh, just two years old, and there was a period early on where I was unemployed. I was already feeling pretty bad because I was not walking with God, folks, okay? Jesus was not part of my life at this time. I didn't pursue the goals that Jesus had for me as a husband and father. And I promise you this, I felt like an absolute loser at that time of my life. I felt it. I'm not providing financially. I'm no kind of husband to to Shayla. I'm no kind of father to Zach. My wife's going out working, and I'm just kind of laying around, sitting around. And the the truth is, if I'm I'm honest and I try to be honest with you guys, it wasn't because I couldn't work. It's because I kept making excuses, waiting for the right job that one doesn't pay enough you know and I think what it was going on was my laziness and my lack of of spiritual discipline and understanding about the role that God had given me to lead my family and it wasn't until Jesus became the head of my heart that I started to learn what it meant to be the head of my family and I think that has to come first And I think a wife's greatest need in marriage is security, and financial security is right up there, guys. She needs to be taken care of, and that's something that God has called the husband to lead in as the head of the home. He doesn't delegate the finances to the wife, never for us to be involved, but we are partners with our spouse in this area of life and marriage. Finally, this morning, there is this need that our wives have for family commitments. Working and providing financially for our families is not the husband's primary goal in life. Can I say that again? Please hear this. Working and providing financially for our families is not the husband's primary goal in life and marriage. His primary goal is, is to be the spiritual leader of his wife and his family. For too long, men have relegated their role as husband and father to that of financial provider, as if that's it. That's all they need. It seems for decades, we, we just guys, we go off to work, we make the money. The wife, you stay at home and raise the kids and keep the house, right? So when the husband comes home, he kind of has this expectation on his wife that, okay, now you're all... Now that I'm home, I'm here for you to serve me, tend to my needs now. I'm going to go grab the remote, sit on the couch, and my family is now supposed to serve my needs. What a Neanderthal. Can I just say that? (laughs) What an absolute Neanderthal. What an archaic, self-centered, and simplistic way of looking at life, like an ogre. I mean, I could hear that coming from Shrek. (laughs) And I, I apologize if that's offensive. Um, I just look back on ways in which maybe I, I, I lived like this and I'm just disgusted by it. Because I, when I realized today, guys, our families are our mission. Our family. If you don't minister to your family and bless them as God intended you to, nothing else matters. You could be a success at work. You could be a success on, on the ball field. In your extracurricular, you could be the best at whatever else you find to do in life. But if we fail to minister to our families, we've missed the point. And marriages thrive where the father is a devoted family man. A man who sees this role not as, as merely a financial provider, but as the one who God has called to protect and nourish his family. To lead them. He's committed to them because he's committed to God and fulfilling his God-given role as a husband, father, and leader in the home. So husbands, do you have time for your wife? Do you have time for your children? Do you make time to be present with them? I, I think the greatest measure of our commitments in life are measured by, the, by time and attention. The greatest measure of our actual commitments in life are measured by time and attention. We may have all the the best feelings towards our family, you know, those warm fuzzies, oh, I love my wife and kids, and we tell them that, and that's great. We may have all the best intentions and plans. I'm gonna do more with my family. I'm gonna invest more. And then one day you wake up and time is gone because you never actually lived out your intentions I'm reminded of the song cats in the cradle right you remember that song my child arrived just the other day he came to the world in the usual way but there were planes to catch and bills to pay he learned to walk while I was away and he was talking for I knew it and as he grew he'd say I'm gonna be like you dad you know I'm gonna be like you And then the next verse says, my son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, 'Uh, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. You've heard that song, many of you. It's a song about a father who doesn't have time for his kids. He's busy. He's working. He's providing. And then when the kids get older, become adults, now he wants to spend time with them. But now, guess what? They learn from dad. They're too busy, too. You know that song was released in 1974? I was two Some of you, yeah, Jairus, you were about 35 then? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Jairus wasn't much older. What are you, five or six, Jairus? Five. But I was thinking, that song was written in 1974. I was two, but life was busy even back then. Before the busyness of our life today. They, songwriter knew back then That there was this issue of a father spending time with his family. But I think, you know, I I used to think that, well, that was a cultural, it was a, not a cultural thing, but a, uh, uh, you know, something uh, uh, of that generation, a generational thing, really. You know, where our dads, they just worked, and the breadwinners, and the mom and the wife did all the other work in the home, and I thought it was a generational thing, and I, I think I grew up in a very similar home. Um, but then I look back at my life in my early years and I think that, that was me. Raising my kids and I loved my kids and I had all the best intentions and I thought, well, I'm a pastor. You know, I was a pastor for most of my kids' upbringing but my devotion, my commitment was to the church and to everyone else in the world that needed me. And I did spend time with my kids, of course, didn't totally neglect them. But as I look back, I think, man, I, I really didn't have time because I was too busy being the pastor or being the, the Christian brother or the, you know, whatever role that I had in life that took precedent above that of being a, a husband and a father. And so I look back on that and I say, wow, man, I really really missed out on a lot my kids are all grown now by the way my for those that don't know my kids are 28 26 and 22 two are married but in the years since they've grown up and gone out of the home and kind of started their own lives god's god's transforming in this area He's, he's shown me things and here's my encouragement guys even if your kids are grown and out of the home it's never too late to be transformed by this truth you still can be a spiritual leader You can still emulate Christ to your family, even if they're adults. I've gone back and apologized to them. I said, guys, I see now that I should have spent more time with you. I should have discipled you. I thought the church was going to disciple my kids. I mean, you raise them in Awana, isn't that enough? They went to youth group. I thought the church was going to just raise my kids and teach them and shepherd them and help them to mature into godly men It's not the case. Guys, I know this is heavy stuff, and and if we stop and think about all the ways in which God has called us to care for our wives and families, you think, man, this is overwhelming. There's no way I can even begin to do all this stuff. I totally agree. It is overwhelming when you think about it. We can't be all and do all for our wife and our our kids. That's not the intention. Here's what I want to encourage you with, guys, this morning. What you can do is you can walk with God every day in an authentic relationship with Jesus, and God will give you what you need to be the husband and father that He's called you to be. He will teach you. He will shape you, He will grow you, He will stretch you, because you're always going to be learning. Even after they're grown out of the house, you're still going to be learning. You're still going to be growing. You never stop being a father to your children. You never stop being a, a husband to your wife. And I think that's my, my hope and prayer is that as my children get older and they have their own lives, their own families, I still want them to say, yeah, you know, I want to be like him. I want my wife to, to look to me and say, you know, I still want to be with him. 28 years later, I still want to be married to this man because he has a heart that follows after God. Grace covers a lot, doesn't it? I look back on my life and I think, man, God, multiply grace upon grace in my life, that my kids love me still today, that my wife still loves me. After all the, the failures and, and the shortcomings of, of me developing as a, as a husband, as a father, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a, you know, I fell so way short so many times, and oftentimes I focus on that, and I shouldn't, but, but I see, though, how God has given me grace and given them grace, and here we are today, still learning, still growing. I still want to be that father. I still want to be that husband. I, I had devotions with uh, my wife just the other day, and we prayed together. And my prayer was just, dear God, help me. Help me to be the husband that my wife needs me to be right now. Help me to be a man of integrity. Help me to live a life of authenticity in front of her. Help me to attend to her needs that she has and not be so consumed with my needs and what I think I'm called to do in life. To be present with my wife, to be a helpmate to her, a partner a co-heir, as Peter will tell us in just a couple verses. God, help me. Because I'm not there. I, I, I want to be there, though. And I tell you this, guys, uh, I don't know how your wife would respond to hearing you pray a prayer like that. But I think it would bless her. Will you pray with your wife this week? Will you uh, talk with her, communicate with her? Let her know that it's it's your goal to be a godly husband, a hunky husband who's living with her in an understanding way, understand what it's like to be married to you, to be a wife who's called to follow and to trust your leadership in the home. Father, thank you for this morning and this message uh, to us as Thank you for uh, the pointed message. It's very convicting, it's challenging, and it can be overwhelming, but God, I pray that your grace would fill our hearts this morning, helping us realize that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That it's my relationship with you, Jesus, that will empower me, that will give me wisdom, that will equip me for the role and the task that you've given me as a Christian man. God, raise up in this church Honky husbands, godly men that lead, that love their wives, that lead their families, that aren't passive, aren't delegating everything, aren't commanding, demanding, but are servants, humble, gracious, loving, so that you might be glorified in our marriages, Lord, in our families, in our church, in our communities. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.